Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. been here for the last several weeks as we've been looking at faith. And as we have considered the fact that we are living and ministering in a post-Christian culture, uh, we're considering the fact of how can we minister uh, among and in such a culture. And the only way that I know how to minister in such a culture and in such a uh, really a hostile culture in many ways uh, is by faith. And one of the best ways to strengthen and encourage our faith is to look at and study the faith of others. And I'm convinced that that is why God has given to us here uh, within this wonderful book of the book of Hebrews, uh, these that have gone on before us uh, in the area of faith. Of course, we have looked at many uh, different examples, starting with Abel and moving on to Enoch and then Noah and then Abraham. And we've spent several weeks on Abraham and Sarah and then Abraham again. And we began, uh, we looked at last week, again, the time that God instructed Abraham to uh, sacrifice his son, Isaac. And what an uh, amazing story and event that had to have been uh, to see, you know, live and in person. Uh, I, I, I still uh, can't get over uh, Abraham's tremendous amount of faith in God uh, to be able to do what he did as God commanded. And today, uh, we're going to pick back up in Hebrews chapter 11, where we left off last week. And as the, as the Bible moves past Abraham, we see uh, right after God delivered Isaac uh, from that sacrifice and provided himself a lamb in that sacrifice, we see the, uh, the next three verses. And what we're going to find here is we're going to pick up and we'll, we'll find Isaac, Abraham's son, who was a man of faith. Uh, then after that, we'll see Isaac's uh, son Jacob, uh, who also uh, became a man of faith, and then uh, Jacob's son uh, Joseph. Uh, all three of these uh, following, if we could even say it this way, following in the footsteps of Abraham, uh, learning and living their lives by faith, by faith. And, and you'll see that there, uh, again, within these four generations of men and families, uh, who lived their lives, who all had a strong faith in God, uh, even though there may have been times when their faith was little. There may have been times when their faith was, if we could describe it this way, as even weak uh, in faith. But nonetheless, God goes to great lengths here to describe to us not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their tremendous amount of faith. What we're seeing here within these three verses that we're going to find is 
four generations of men and families that had a great faith in God. And something that I want to uh, give to you some hope, some help, and uh, some encouragement here today to simply remind you that oftentimes uh, faith is and can be generational. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for uh, the heritage that I have as a believer uh, to grow up and live and be raised in a Christian home uh, by parents who both knew the Lord. Uh, not everyone has that opportunity, and in for my parents, they too raised in a Christian home, uh, and their parents raised in a Christian home. Uh, I, I've asked some of my older relatives are some little bit more about our heritage and the best uh, that I can tell uh, from from what they are aware of. Uh, we're probably at least you know seven or eight uh, generations of uh, people of faith. Uh, and, and I don't take that lightly. I don't take that for granted. Um, but it is sometimes, again, faith being something that is generational. And we find that here for these men. Uh, and, and, you know, some of these things, it's not just faith uh, that can be generational, though, isn't it? Uh, sometimes personalities are generational. Uh, I, I've met people uh, that have uh, that have said, I don't know them very well or something like that, maybe meet them for the first time, and they'll say something like, oh, you remind me of your father. Uh, I've even heard, oh, that you remind me of your grandfather uh, and different things like that. Uh, and, and it's just, again, we pass things on uh, generationally. Uh, of course, uh, football season has started, hasn't it? Uh, some of you have passed on uh, generational uh, fanship uh, of different, uh, you know, different people, different teams. Uh, and you sometimes ask, well, why am I a Browns fan? You, you might ask that question. Uh, not, not in a bad way, but, uh, not, you, you don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Don't read into this too much. Uh, this may, this illustration may go south fast. I don't know. Uh, but, but you may, but you may have wondered, why am I a Browns fan? You might say, well, because my father was a Browns fan. And his father was a Browns fan, and he taught me to be a Browns fan. Uh, and you can put whatever sports team in there that you want to, uh, but sometimes uh, we, we grow up cheering for a particular team uh, based upon a family uh, liking of that team. Well, you, and again, you could put in the Steelers in there. You could, uh, I guess you could even put in the Bengals in there. Um, but uh, if you wanted to do that kind of thing. Uh, but, but have you ever wondered why? I, I remember growing up uh, in, in Indianapolis. Uh, of course, we early of my life, we didn't really have uh, any sports teams. Uh, and so we were uh, kind of central between Cincinnati and Chicago. Um, and so there were, you'll find many uh, as far as like baseball fans, you're you're probably either a Cubs fan or a Reds fan. It's kind of split uh, in between there uh, in in that particular region, and sometimes it's regional uh, as to why it's passed on um, because that's just your team, uh, and sometimes it's just as simple as that. It's just your team uh, within that. Uh, but then sometimes I don't know if you ever like this, but uh, I, I remember growing up, my dad uh, for some reason was a uh, Kansas City Royals fan. 
he was a Kansas City Royals fan, and I I couldn't stand the Royals. And I just I didn't like him. I didn't see what he liked in them. And and we would often get into debates about how bad the Royals were. And I kept thinking, why would you ever root for a team that's so bad uh, during that time? And uh, and and I thought, man, my goodness. Uh, and so I was looked at by my father at many times in some of my sports uh, cheering of a little bit of a rebel. Now again, uh, you you could imagine. Uh, let's see, Norm, you're a Pirates fan, right? Did, did you raise non-Pirates fans? Yes, he did. And he's probably sorely disappointed in that, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it happens, though. Sometimes that happens. And listen, listen, sometimes that happens in the Christian life, too, doesn't it? Just because, listen, what I'm getting at here this morning that I want you to see and that we're going to illustrate here in just a few moments is just because one person or one generation is a person or a family of faith does not guarantee that the next generation will be. And it does not guarantee that the generation after that is going to be. Faith is always something that must be personal. It must be personal, and it must be in these ways. And so, again, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes a a generational stronghold must be broken. Some of you are in the room this morning, and you would be what I would consider to be a uh, what I like to call a first-generation Christian. That means you were the first of your family to come to know the Lord. And you, you didn't, you weren't necessarily raised in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, but yet you broke that generational uh, streak and said, "No, I'm going to follow the Lord." Amen. Again, this this idea of a generational faith again is not something that is guaranteed. It is not something that is instantaneous. That just because you may have been born in a Baptist church nursery does not guarantee a faith being passed on within this, just as being a sports fan doesn't necessarily mean uh, that everyone in your family is going to follow suit with you. So I want to illustrate this this morning as this pattern of how ideologies and doctrine can be passed down and can be handed from one generation to the next, just as easily as a sports loyalty to an organization. And so again, we're going to see these examples in four generations uh, within this. And so I want to take you here to Romans chapter 11, and I want you to see what the Scripture says in verse number 20, 21, and 22. Scripture says, By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of Israel gave commandment concerning his bones. 
you'll see here again as we find, of course, Abraham being that first generation. Isaac, the third, Jacob, the fourth, and Joseph, or the third and fourth of Joseph. A generational thing. It's something we must consider. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray this morning and we'll jump right into this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, you again have, just in the preservation of your word, you've given us so much. You've given us something in the last 500 years of a copy of your word that other generations didn't have. And Father, we know through your word that to whom much is given, much shall be required. And God, I pray this morning that you will help us, that you will guide us this morning in a simple thought that your word portrays to us. God, that you might strengthen our faith. You might increase it. That we might be full of your joy in our faith. Help us in this. We beg of you. We ask of you. In Jesus' name, your Son. Amen. Amen. I want you to hold your place here in the book of Hebrews, and I want you to go back to the book of 2 Timothy, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 we find a, another illustration that uh, kind of talks about what we're dealing with here within this subject of generational faith. Now, it's a New Testament example and a New Testament illustration, uh, but I want you to see how uh, it works. Now, within this, the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, of course, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says in verse number three, uh, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He says in verse four, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now look at verse number five. He says, I Call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now stop there just for a minute. That word unfeigned uh, simply means something that is real or not fake. He says, Timothy, when I think about you, I think about your real faith. I think about your authentic faith. I think about how you are not fake when it comes to faith. He says, but Timothy, when I think about that, I can't help but think about how that faith, that same realness, that same faith first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And he said, I am persuaded that in thee also. He says, Timothy, when I think about your faith, I can't help but think about your grandmother's faith. 
And when I think about your grandmother's faith, I can't help but think about your mother's faith. And I'm persuaded that that is the same faith that is in you. Isn't that something? Now remember, just the opposite can be true as well. I think about the Old Testament uh, saints after Israel has come out of Egypt. Moses led them through uh, the 40 years in the wilderness. They they go in. Joshua uh, goes in and divides the uh, d- divides all of what is taking place uh, within the promised land. He gives everybody their inheritance. And, and then shortly thereafter, what do we find when we come to the book of Judges? What do we find? We find, I'll just tell you, a people that begin to do that which is right in their own eyes. And they followed not in the ways of their fathers. They followed not in the ways of Joshua. They followed not in the ways of Moses. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And we see utter destruction coming often within that time. And then God would raise up a judge. And that judge would come in and he would judge Israel. And Israel would fall in line until that judge died. And then Israel would again do that which was right in their own eyes. And when we get to the book of Judges, we see this cycle happening over and over and over again on more than one occasion. But what happened? These are the descendants of those that were of a strong faith. But what I'm trying to get to you is there are some times and some cases that a faith is passed on. But then there are times and cases where it's not caught. It's not caught. And so I want you to consider this morning, as we go back to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and I want you to see what is taking place here as Abraham comes in. And again, uh, Abraham, a man of great faith. If you look at the book of Hebrews, or the chapter chapter in Hebrews of chapter 11, we'll find that God speaks more of Abraham's faith than he does anyone else that he describes of having faith. Abraham was a man of great faith. I mean, great faith. He has Isaac. Again, we looked at last week as Abraham took Isaac up and bound him and placed him down and drew a knife back to sacrifice his son. All because Abraham had faith in God. All because Abraham believed that if he were to sacrifice his son Isaac, that God was able to raise him from the dead. That's a tremendous amount of faith, isn't it? I mean, a tremendous amount of faith. And Abraham had it. And evidently, as we look in verse number 20, as the Bible says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. I don't know if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, but uh, Esau had gotten married. He, he married, and Isaac and Rebekah were, well, let's just say they didn't really care for Esau's brides. Isaac, of course, is up in years, and 
he calls Esau in and as the eldest of his sons, of his two sons, and he says, why don't you go and kill him? Make a kill. Make me some of that venison like you made. I want to have it before I die. Esau excitedly says, yes, sir. Of course, I'm paraphrasing all of this. He says, yes, sir, and he gets his, gets his items, gets his killing stuff. We could call it that. I don't know what to call it right now. He goes out and he's going hunting. Rebecca, though, says, I don't like this. I don't want him to bless Isaac. Or, sorry, I don't want Isaac to bless Esau. And she goes in and she gets Jacob. She says, listen to me. Your father's going to bless Esau, but I'm not going to let it happen. You're going to take the venison that he asked for, and you're going to take it in so you can have the blessing. Now we see some, some workings here that are plain wrong, amen? I mean plainly wrong all orchestrated by his mother. And of course, Jacob just goes along with it and she makes the venison. She's probably the one that taught Esau how to make it to begin with. She knew exactly how to make it and she does just that. Jacob begins to get a little nervous and he says, I, I, can't, I, I can't just go in and, and say he'll know that I'm, es- or I'm Jacob. She said, I've got that covered. And apparently, as the Scripture gives us the account, the, uh, Jacob said, well, Esau is hairy and I'm not. She said, I got it covered. And she put some, some hair on his arms and on the back of his neck. Isaac, had his eyesight was very dim. He couldn't see very well. So she makes the venison and hands it to Jacob. And she says, now go. Now go. And Jacob walks in and he's, Got the plate of venison and, Father, I have the venison you asked for. Isaac, thank you, listening. He says, already? That was fast. He said, well, and this was Jacob. He said, well, the Lord was good to me today. The Lord blessed very swiftly. Very swiftly. There he was. He says, you, you sound like Jacob. Come over here. So Jacob goes over, feels his arms and he feels the back of his neck. And Isaac's confused a little bit. You sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. I have the venison you asked for. I'm him. The Bible says by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking it was Esau. Of course, if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau had already sold his birthright to Jacob, thinking he was going to die at one point, but he lived. Now he's out and He's taking the blessing from Isaac just before Isaac is going to pass. So he blesses Jacob, thinking it's Esau. And then 
Esau finally comes. Jacob is gone. Rebekah, of course, is still there. And Esau comes in. I've got the venison for you. He says, wait, what? Who was that? Then he stops. What have I done? He tells Esau, sorry. I've already given the blessing. Esau is heartbroken. He's hurt. He is distraught. And he begs his father. Oh, do you have anything left? Do you have anything left for me? And Isaac, by faith, as Esau hears, what I have. By faith, he blessed him as well. Of course, you know the story again. Becca comes to Jacob and says, um, um, you got to go. What do you mean I got to go? Esau's not happy. You can imagine this, right? Now, they're 40 years old, by the way, and she says, Esau's not happy. He's saying he's going to kill you. And I believe him. She says, go to my brother's house. You go here and I'll let you know when it's safe. So Jacob packs a few things and he, he leaves. He leaves. And of course, you know the story here. And I'll try to fast forward as much as I can here. But uh, Jacob, of course, goes and he finds... Uh, his wife gets his wife and goes on through and uh, comes through. And the Bible says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying. You'll notice the collation here. Isaac was dying, blessing his sons. Jacob is dying. Now we have his blessing. But he stops. He looks through. Of course, Jacob had 12 sons. Ten of his sons sold Joseph into slavery. He spent years thinking he was dead, not knowing what happened. It's time to give the blessing. You can see this old man leaned up against his staff just holding on, just doing his best to stand up. He doesn't call for his sons. He calls Joseph's sons, his grandchildren. He says, I'm going to bless them by faith. By faith. And then we find Joseph. Of course, Joseph, a man of great faith, being one that was sold into slavery by his ten brothers. And of course, grateful, he could have been killed. That was the original plan. The original plan was to kill Joseph, and one of them finally said, no, 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 you can't do that. He said, but we can't do this. So they sold him into slavery. And then all that... Joseph went through from Potiphar's house 
going from a simple servant to the head of the house to being accused of unthinkable things and finds himself in prison. In prison, he interprets some dreams and gets a couple of guys out of prison based upon his interpretation. And he says, remember me. They said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We got you, man. No, they didn't. For a while. Then Pharaoh, leader of Egypt, a nightmare that no one could interpret, no one could tell him what it meant. And one of the men that Joseph got out of prison said, you know, there's this guy when we were in prison, his name's Joseph, and he interpreted our dreams. He might can give you the answer you're looking for. Well, Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He gives him the description of his dream, and Joseph says, oh, yeah, I can tell you what it means. He says, there's going to come a famine. But before the famine, there's going to be seven good years, and then after that, seven bad years. And if you will take what you make in the seven good years, you'll have enough to make it through all 14 years. Pharaoh says, really? All right, well, you're in charge. Talk about pressure, right? He's like, it's your idea. You're in charge of it. Make it happen. And if you don't make it happen, you know what's going to happen. So Joseph in charge. Second in command. Good years. He's storing up all of these things, all of these items. And the famine comes. And there's so much that not just the country of Egypt, but those all around Egypt are coming to Egypt and saying, help us. Joseph is smart enough and wise enough and has enough faith. He did it right. So one day his brothers come walking in, seeking help. In that moment, Joseph, of course, recognizes them. And uh, you, can, you can imagine, of course, Joseph was a younger man at the time, but not just a younger man. And it had been many years uh, since they had seen one another. And, but also the Egyptian attire. You can imagine the difference of how Joseph would have looked. He recognized his brothers. He understood their speech as they spoke in the Hebrew tongue. He goes through. He helps his brothers just a little bit, but he wants to know, is my father still alive? Well, through all of that, we, of course, can fast forward just a little bit as Joseph allows them to come in and he feeds them and says, bring father and bring my brother. And, uh, you know, all through the story there, every step of the way, Joseph having a tremendous amount of faith. As his brothers, their families, his father, all come in to Egypt. They set up camp. They're doing well. Isaac, of course, dies. Jacob is now dead. And Joseph says, okay. His brothers come in. They want to know, are you going to kill us now that father is dead? One of the sweetest 
reconciliations you'll ever see among a family was found in that particular passage. As Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God to give and to take life? And then he said these words, what God or what Satan meant for evil, God meant it unto good. And they stayed, and of course you know what happens, the story. They begin to multiply, their children have children, and their children have children, and now it's time for Joseph, he's about to die. He makes mention in verse number 22, the Bible says he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel gave commandment concerning his bones. He said, don't let them stay here. When you leave, take them with you. Take them with you. In Romans chapter 1, I mentioned earlier, the Bible says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. We start over here and we see the faith of Abraham. how he passed it on to Isaac. And Isaac took what was Abraham's faith and developed a faith of his own. And Isaac passed that faith on to Jacob, and let's just face it, Jacob almost messed it up, didn't he? Jacob almost messed it up. If you look at Jacob, Jacob was not a great guy. Abraham, great guy. Isaac, apparently great guy. Jacob, it took him a little while, didn't it? It took him a little while. Then, Joseph. Joseph, four generations. From faith to faith to faith. Listen, number one, faith. Generational faith is a faith that is passed on. It's a faith that is passed on. It is not by, uh, it's rarely by accident and it's usually on purpose. But you'll find also that uh, when you find this, this first generation uh, of believers, this first generation of, of faith people, oh man, they on purpose pass it on. They say, they're going to have faith. By the time you get to the third and fourth generation, again, you can see in the life of Jacob, he almost missed it. To the best that we can tell, Esau probably did miss it. We don't see much of Esau, except in the reconciliation with Jacob. Now, he was blessed and he was wealthy and he had a family of his own and he had all of these things, but... We don't see Esau being known as a man of faith. So this third generation here was, was pivotal in this faith being passed on. Jacob had 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Their faith was passed on, rarely by accident and usually on purpose. 
I want you to see number two as well, that a generational faith is not just a faith that's passed on, but it's a faith that is practiced as a family. It's a faith that is practiced as a family. Again, uh, we see Abraham practice his faith with Isaac at the sacrifice. We see Isaac practicing his faith with Jacob. He blessed him by faith. Jacob practiced his faith with Abra- or with Joseph with, with that coat of many colors. He's saying, son, you, you're something special here. All of these men, as Joseph comes and he says, I'm going, but you're not going to stay here. Remember, God gave a promise. You're going to come out of here. All of these men, though, demonstrated a faith that made their children want to trust God. It was not just a faith that was practiced as a family, but number three, it was a faith that inspired It was a faith that inspired faith. They had it. They had it. Again, Romans says, from faith to faith. Now I'm convinced that it works in both ways in our lives as we have this generation here can pass on that faith to the next, but until that faith becomes real in their life, they'll never pass it on to the next. Until they practice it for themselves, they'll never inspire anyone else. I'm also convinced while that faith to faith works from generation to generation, it also works in our own life. As we have victory by faith, it gets us to the next step of faith. And causes our faith to grow so that it can inspire others. You see, faith to faith is coming to life. What is your faith producing this morning? I go through all of this because we have something at our disposal. Do we have any Abrahams here this morning? I want you to consider for a moment. Are you an Abraham? What I mean by that is you say, well, I don't have the faith of Abraham. No way. I'm not talking that. I'm talking, are you a first generation believer? Are you the first generation in your family to trust Christ? First generation. Are you an Isaac? Second generation. You saw his faith. What are you doing with it? Have you developed and made faith your own? That's what Isaac did. I think the toughest category to be in would be this third one. Jacob. Because again, we see Jacob struggling in this. We see Jacob struggling in his faith. You may be here as a third generation believer. And I just, that's tough. Listen, again, same thing. You got to make faith your own. You might be a fourth generation Joseph. You got to make faith your own. Yes, it's generational, but it's not guaranteed. 
Yes, it worked for Eunice and it worked for, uh, for, uh, for uh, uh, Lois and it worked for Timothy. It didn't always work in the judges. Matter of fact, when we get beyond that, that time of the judges and we see, it doesn't always work that way. We see different generations of David. Of course, David, third, fourth generation of believers. David, strong believer. His children were mixed, weren't they? They were mixed. We see Solomon carrying on. Solomon, great man of faith for a while. And the kingdom divided. From that divided kingdom, we see generation after generation, yes, there were some that kept faith. Remember, God always keeps a remnant. There were many that did not allow this generational faith. Listen, here's what I want to get at this morning. Don't let faith stop with your generation. Be determined. That you're going to do all it is you can do to demonstrate a faith to the next generation. Because listen, we're living in a post-Christian culture. I, I would not be truthful to you if I were to tell if I were to tell you that I'm not concerned for any future grandchildren and great-grandchildren that I might have. great-great-grandchildren. Living in a culture like we have? That we know, as the Bible says, is going to just get worse and worse? I want to do all that I can do to have a faith that inspires my children to have faith. And I want them to have a faith that becomes real to them, that they can inspire their children to have faith. That their children might have faith. I don't know what the future holds, but again, I tell you, I'm, I'm nervous about it. I feel, I feel pretty confident to, to know that my grandchildren, I'm going to do all I can to influence them if the Lord gives me any. I might not have that opportunity with my great-grandchildren. I may not have that opportunity with my grandchildren. That's not guaranteed. What is, is this. You can be a person of faith and strong faith and have a faith that inspires others to have faith. From faith to faith. But you're going to have to do it on purpose. Because it rarely happens by accident. Are you blessing them? Faith believing that with God, all things are possible. That's how we're going to affect a post-Christian culture. By faith. On purpose. Trusting God for all things. Love every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.